Welcome to Aligned Attraction, the go-to intimacy podcast for powerful women. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Lee Noto, master intimacy coach and psychedelic therapist, and I help powerful women like you unleash your wild feminine power so you can create heart-throbbing love. Each week, you'll hear from me and other experts on love, sex, and relationships, and I'll also coach women like you to create the most delicious transformation in their love lives. You ready? Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Aligned Attraction. Today, I have the great pleasure of being joined by another powerful badass woman that I met at a women's circle, a group, a really powerful group here in Austin. And she and I got fast into conversation. I knew that I had to have her on the podcast because of the way she walks through the world the love she radiates, and the intentionality with which she lives her life. So let me give you a little bit of background about Heather. So Heather does executive coaching and emotional intelligence-related training and facilitation. She also does conflict mediation for companies ranging from startups to Fortune 100 companies. She's worked with companies like Square, Uber, and Siemens. And she speaks on EQ topics, which we're going to get really into today. She's conducted many empathy empathy trainings for Fortune 100 executives. And her long-term coaching clients, one of her clients is a founder whose private company went from 40 million to over 1 billion in valuation over the course of their coaching. So this woman is helping people create incredible results across the board. And she's an expert in running events to facilitate group bonding as well as EQ deepening. In the past decade, she's trained and mentored over 300 facilitators, and for five years, she ran and co-grew a relational skills training group in Austin to the largest in the world, from 10 to over 2,000 members. Her trainings have sparked over two dozen new EQ training communities globally, and her organization is now an official 501c3 nonprofit for which she is on the board of directors. There's so much more that we can say about Heather. But first of all, I just want to welcome you and all of your badassery to the show today. Thank you. I'm so glad to get to see you. It's such a treat in the middle of my day. Be like, oh, I get to do this thing with Lee. This is great. (laughs) I know. It's (laughs) awesome. I'm, I'm so happy you're here. I typically do have guests introduce themselves and a little about their story right out of the gate. However, I want to flow with intuition today because a lot of The work you do is all around empathy and emotional intelligence. I would love to hear how your work has impacted your personal life and vice versa. Like, what is the connection there? Because empathy in the workplace has probably long been thought of as a soft skill, something that would be a nice to have. And we're finding that it's so important because human connection and relationship is at the core of everything. So, what are you seeing? in the workplace around empathy and how has that impacted your dating and love life? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for checking. Um, I often say that the landscape of receptivity to EQ training, empathy training, et cetera, in the workplace, when I first started 
Um, I moved to San Francisco with nothing lined up, six months worth of savings allocated for runway. And it was terrifying. I was like, I'm just going to talk to people until jobs happen. And at that time, it was more like everything's on fire and the ship is going down. So fine, we'll try this thing. Or the company was really forward thinking and already enrolled, but there wasn't much in between. And now companies are a lot more enrolled. It's just it's the, shy, the zeitgeist has shifted. Thank goodness. I am a big believer in the importance of this work. And an interesting crossover, I think, in personal professional is the importance of psychological safety. And there's, um, you may be familiar with Google's Project Aristotle, the most defective teams are the the core ingredient they they identify, not going in to find this, but just who are our most effective teams? What are they doing or not doing? Um, the most important thing by far is psychological safety and empathy is a part of that. Um, but just, am I open to asking a question that might be dumb, speaking up when I'm uncomfortable, having hard conversations, um, that there's way more creativity and innovation on teams, more efficacy. And and then in personal life, of course, like belonging and um, there are those little micro or large fractures that I think can happen between people that I call withholds or clearing conversations of like, a friend of mine describes it as it's like there's a pane of glass between us and maybe it's clean and sparkly and we can just see each other perfectly. But over time, these little blotches can get on it and taking the time to clean that off and clearing up the relationship, I think is very important. Absolutely. Okay. First of all, thank you for sharing that. What an incredible story of really not only inspiring uh, value around empathy in the workplace, but also really creating value around that. I'm not surprised at all to hear that psychological safety is the number one thing that allows people to thrive. And it's honestly really where growth comes from. When we feel safe, when we think of children who are in this, um, you know, this immediate circle of their mother's care, when there is safety, they know they can go venture beyond and always have mom's care to come back to. And I think mm-hmm. the same is true in any of our growth and expansion as humans. Do we feel safe within ourselves and within our relational constructs to be able to take risks that cause and create growth and expansion? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love I love your eye on this. I feel so aligned in this. Um, that... Um, and the the Google study was who's just the most effective, who's hitting their goals, who's exceeding their goals. So it was just this very businessy, like how do they be the most effective? And oh, also creativity, also innovation um, comes out of it. And people are happier on their teams. There's more retention. There are fewer politics in the office. And I think the relationship um, analog for me, I I love. I think is it Sue Johnson or Jacobson who wrote Love Sense? John mm-hmm. Gottman said. He thinks she's the best couples counselor in the world. Um, so it's like, we have information. About, I, I see you smiling. I imagine you know her work. Yeah, it's like, people, we have information about how love works. Just like there used to be when child development books first came out, people were like, I know how to be a parent. I don't need to read about child psychology or child development. And, and I think that's shifting too of like, oh, we can learn how to be in a relationship. And she thinks of love marriages versus a business marriage or an arranged marriage for family alliance and land purposes um, are about creating a safe harbor mm-hmm. where this person in all the storms in life, this is a safe place I can come back to. This is my rock, my grounding. And because of that, because of that dependence on one another, I can be more independent in the world that she thinks that there's this stigma around like, oh, you shouldn't be dependent on your partner. She's like, no, you like, 
it's healthy to be, to have this like deep, deep safety and belonging with one another. And then we can go be so bold and do Mm -hmm. bigger, more beautiful things that are purpose aligned. Absolutely. Hell yeah. It's like a difference between hyper-independence on one end of the spectrum, codependence Mm -hmm. on the other, and interdependence Mm -hmm. being the place that most of us wish to strike because that's the place that feels most grounding and Mm -hmm. expansive. Okay. So in my short time of knowing you and in having conversation with you, there's a certain energy that I'm struck with, which is that you have done a lot of inner work in cultivating a really deep sense of inner safety and inner knowing. Mm -hmm. And people typically don't mistake that quality in other people. So I, I know that there is something. I'm curious to hear a little more about your background and where you came from and what key things along the way you felt have really helped cultivate you and forge you into the woman you are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Wow. I'm, I, I love that question. And the, so just speaking from like what pops to mind first um, is that I've been through hardship and trauma and like for, I, there's an, trait that I really appreciate and the people I'm close to and that I want in a partner of if I become peripherally aware of an uncomfortable truth about myself, I will ultimately get curious and turn towards it rather than like, Ooh, close that closet door. Don't look in there. (laughs) Everything will just fall out if I do. Um, So uh, I just, I really value growth and I'm so grateful that my younger self, like had the insight at some point I realized I had identified as just, oh, I'm just traumatized. I've been through these hard things in my childhood. And I just means I'm going to be a different person. That's sad. I wish I hadn't been traumatized in that way, but this is just me now. And at some point thinking, wait, I didn't choose that. Why would the several decades, the rest, the rest of my life be defined by something that happened to me that I didn't choose as a child? And even if it takes me 50 years of self-work, maybe at the very end of my life, I can be this like flourishing person that I imagine I would be like, had this not happened, it was like this paths diverging. So I had this insight, I think my sophomore year of college, I was like, okay, all right, I can start picking at this and working at it. Um, so I don't know if I've diverted from your question, but um, that uh, that made a huge impact on me and just starting to do self-work. Um, I'll pause there because I don't I don't remember if I've tangented too far. I well, what you have done is evoked a lot of emotion in me because that's such a powerful moment to create. And I was gonna say arrive at as if like, but I don't think you're passively, mm-hmm. you know, going through uh, a thought like that. There is a lot of intention in forming a thought like that and holding that thought and exploring a thought like that where you say, okay, if I didn't choose the the trauma that happened to me, then why would I have to live from that? That one thought changes an entire life, changes an entire trajectory. And it's so often in relationships, we find that we are walking representations of our pasts and not Mm -hmm. intentionally, but unconsciously, we tend to carry a lot of past experiences with us. Yet when there's a moment to stop and say, I don't have to do that, 
I don't want to do that. I, I feel that my life would be more vibrantly lived if I didn't do that. Or at the very least, if I put the possibility on the table that I could live any other way, I choose. And if I choose the trauma, so be it. At least it was a choice. And there are other options available to me. Mm-hmm. That is a very simple statement with a very profound effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a friend who said once, um, the traits we do not choose have the most power over us. Mm-hmm. Whether it's choosing to keep this trait, like you can stay <laughs> or hold on, I need to reevaluate this. And that was an arc I think um, we've talked, you and I have talked about in the past is that um, getting into emotional skills training, there was the like just general trauma work and how do I relate to to my traumas and which I'm such a fan of trauma work. I think everybody has trauma is my assumption. And I think it's so important for people to do this. It's it's just such a different world. It felt like doing EMDR, it felt like magic where mm-hmm. situations would happen after sessions and I would brace myself waiting for my nervous system to react. And I was like, oh, I, like that's a little upsetting, but I feel pretty fine. <laughs> like That just wasn't true before. I didn't realize that the type of like intensity and nervous system activation didn't have to be how one lives. And I had a therapist who said, like, you don't need to live with that. You mm-hmm. can you can shift it. I have a friend who his grandmother had lived through Nazi um, occupation of Amsterdam. And she didn't sleep well from the time she was like 14 till she was in her 90s until she did some EMDR. Yeah. Wow. Will you just describe what EMDR is after you Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just her grandson got her to do it. And she was just like, this is amazing. I don't hear bombs going off in the middle of the night all the time. Um, and so EMDR is, it's a type of trauma therapy. It's not the only one I've done, but it uses bilateral stimulation of the body left, right, left, right. Um, it could be visual auditory or tactile, and you revisit the place of trauma where you're like a little bit activated, not too activated. And then they run the machine or do the process and it's you start to metabolize. I think that's a common thing. Is my my uh, somewhat layperson understanding? Professionally, I do know a fair bit about trauma to at least know how to reground someone, recognize what's happening. But um, it's like with most trauma work, my understanding is you you bring it up so it's a little activated and find safety and like mm-hmm. soothe it, pay attention to it, let it finish processing what was at the time too intense for the system to process. So it just backlogged it, set it aside. Yeah. Thank you. I, I know that people listening will be like, what is that? I, I yeah. need to know <laughs> given, given the implications that it has as a modality. And I've heard many, many wonderful things about EMDR, though I've yet to try it myself. So it's on my mm-hmm. list. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> yeah. And, oh, and the thing I was leading to with all that, it was just my choice to start doing emotional skills work because I realized I'd gotten intermittent feedback that it came across as invulnerable they're like, mm-hmm. oh, you're like, I'll be happy and playful, but I wouldn't show sadness or hurt vulnerability. And at first I was like, whatever, there are billions of people in the world. Not everyone's going to get me. And then when a close friend of mine said, oh, that thing that just happened, that's the first time I've seen you be vulnerable. I was like, oh, I have definitely been vulnerable in front of this person before. And if Brene Brown is right in her power vulnerability TED talk, which was like quite new at the time, this was like 2012 or so. Um, when I had this thought, I was like, okay, if Brene Brown is right and vulnerability is essential for deep connection, and I deeply value close relationships in my life and my close friend can't tell I'm vulnerable, then this is a problem for me. Mm-hmm. So I started going to authentic relating games, this modality that I've 
divin dove, I don't know, the past tense <laughs> that I dived into. Um, uh, because I was like, I need to be able to cry in front of people um when I'm upset. I need to like for them to feel it and get it. Cause someday I'm gonna go through a tragedy and I won't be able to express. So that was my goal initially, and it turned into a whole career. But, okay, so that's how the career started. Yes. <laughs> okay. So it was a personal foray into something that you that felt challenging for you, that was reflected back to you. You found the world of authentic relating and you're like, holy shit, this mm-hmm. is like the best thing ever. And then you realized that you needed to bring this to the world in the ways that you saw fit. Is that kind of how it played out? Or what, what other things happened along the way? Because then I want to dive into that world. Yes. Um, well, it started off of, okay, I need to be able to be vulnerable in front of people for them to feel me um, when I'm in intensity to at least have that option in my mm-hmm. toolkit. Yeah. Um, and cause there's a whole thing of like, can I feel what I'm feeling without being hijacked? I, my hypervigilance and whatever, I very much trust myself to like, I will not get hijacked by it, but like, can I feel and express and move through it in the company of others? Um, and so it started off as that, then I was helping train facilitators and, and I'll say like, there's so many modalities out there and so many paths. And I think this is, this is a path. It's not the path. It's just anything that does that work of let me be with my feelings. And I think of it as capacity for intensity as well as tools. So there's the capacity to be with intensity without, um, like trying to eject from the situation or numbing out, mm-hmm. um, going into posturing or puffer fish as some of my friends say, mm-hmm. of like lashing out at loved ones cause you're, you're activated or collapsing and turning inwards and hermit crab. Mm-hmm. So capacity and then the tools of, okay, I'm here. There's an intense thing happening. Well, what do I do? What do I say to this person who's going through a hard time or how do I communicate my boundaries or whatever? Um, so it was a process of learning that. And as we became a nonprofit and we're thinking about our mission, um, well, it's like LLC, nonprofit, what's our, what's our purpose? I realized that I have a belief that these skills are important for the world. I think a lot of ill happens when people are hurting emotionally on some level yeah. and whether or not they're trying to hurt others, if that happens. And, um, and also rehumanizing people and getting our shared humanity across perceived divides. I think it's all very important. So I was like, okay, counterfactually, what's the rarest this is my logic side. <laughs> like, what is the rarest thing I can contribute in my lifetime? I'm half camel. There's a Tamil proverb that says many drops fill a bucket. Um, and so I was like, what are the maximum number of drops that I think I can contribute? And so that's why I moved to the Bay area doing, working with tech companies and whatnot. Cause I thought there's a whole swath of society who would never self-select to come to authentic relating games or take an empathy training. But if they say, Oh, it helps our bottom line. Oh, these corporate heroes that I look up to are doing it. So my goal is to work with the most influential people or entities. Like if I could work with Rihanna or Taylor Swift, like amazing, just, and maybe they're already great at these skills, but just people who influence the mainstream and create a bigger ripple effect has been my goal. Mm. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. There's so many things you said in there that I really want to come back to. Um, among which were the fact that when you started on this journey, one of the things that you realized about yourself is that um, 
you didn't navigate vulnerability, certainly in the way you do now. Mm-hmm. How do you define vulnerability and what other like core points along the journey became initiations for you? Typically, like, you know, we'll go through an initiation when we just get brought to our knees and it's like, fuck, mm-hmm. I need to look at this, explore it, shift it, whatever that is. What were, that's the second question. What were those key moments that really allowed you to become who you are today? Because we're we're talking about you in a professional context, but we're going to talk about you as a woman in dating and love also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wish I remembered offhand. I love Brene Brown's definition. It's something about um, speaking up or, or showing um, emotional exposure when there's uncertainty. I think there are a few other elements, but just, I don't know the outcome and I'm revealing what's happening for me. Mm. I like, I actually might get more hurt by revealing it. I don't know. So there's like the, the like leaning out into this feels uncomfortable, but it's, it's meaningful and it's real and it's it's what's happening. So speaking to that thing. Um, and I can feel myself if I don't lean into that, it sometimes it feels that's self-love and that's the right calibration for the moment. And sometimes when I'm like, oh, I want to say this, if I don't, it's just like, there's like a divining rod of feeling out like, yeah, this is actually important for me to say. It's like speaking up about a boundary or something saying, um, this is scary to say, and this feels more aligned with my values of just living by my values, um, having integrity with myself, speaking up to be values aligned or or whatever it might be. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's a, a wordy definition of vulnerability. Um, mm. And the so key moments, initiation moments, that time when I, I had people intermittently give me that feedback. And ironically, it really hurt my feelings when mm. they were like, oh, you're just not that emotional. You're, and because I, I was like, I have feelings. I just don't express in the way that you need to see to, to feel it. And I'm grateful that I wasn't numbing out for my feelings, but it was just a lot of like, feel the feelings, don't show it if it was like negative um, in some way, Mm. air quotes, (laughs) on negative if you're listening to just the audio version of this. But um, uh, so, so it was feeling hurt by that intermittently and thinking first like, well, okay, again, billions of people, it's fine. Of course, not everyone's gonna understand me. Um, and then having that close friend say that was like, oh, okay, this is a real thing for me to look at. And mm-hmm. and it was also really frustrating because I thought, I thought I've worked on this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why can't people feel me? What is going on? Um, so that was a key moment as well as um, doing an exercise once. Uh, it's an authentic relating game called C and B Seen. So I'm partner A, partner B. If you're partner B, like we kind of do a drop-in meditation. Both people close your eyes, just feel what it's like to be in your body. Just like really feel like being your full self in your body. And then it's cued that in a moment when you open your eyes, they swap off, but say like, if you were going to just witness me and be with me and I'm going to be seen. And this, most people say is the more vulnerable of the two roles. If you're witnessing someone else, tends to feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. But what I noticed was I felt really open in my body. And then when I opened my eyes to be seen, I felt it was like my peripheral view, just like tunnel visioned, Mm -hmm. like energetically, like in my, the the sensation in my body was just kind of like, okay, I'm just focused right now. And I was like, oh, oh, right. 
what, what if I stay open? And so that difference, the rest of the weekend, people were like, oh, I could really feel you. And I was like, yes, I figured out the thing. <laughs> so it was like the way I was occupying my body made a difference in how much people felt me, that there was that in addition to times when I'm explicitly naming something or crying, but just even being in my body impacted people. That I find that so fascinating because often, you know, always we're living from our own first person perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to think like, oh, of course I show my feelings. Of course I reveal myself. According to Mm -hmm. My internal operating system, I do that thing. I show up in that mm -hmm. way. And according to other people's perspectives on that same thing, we may or may not meet their quote unquote standard for that thing. Mm -hmm. And I find it fascinating that up until that point, relatively, you perceived that you were an open person until you received the feedback. And then you had this embodied experience. You're like, whoa. Mm -hmm. Now I have literally just inhabited a new somatic space inside of my body that is radically different than I've ever inhabited or experienced my body and my perspective and my level of openness before. Mm -hmm. And now it's like you just like you are this beautiful house and you just found a new room in the house mm -hmm. and you just walked into that room and there are like riches in there and you're like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. This is incredible. That's really awesome. I, you know, I think something to be said about that. I've participated in some authentic relating activities, but I have really, really loved using body-based practices to bring that concept into dating and love. One of the mm -hmm. ones that I used yesterday in a program that I'm leading um, for single women who are calling in love is I had them stand on both feet, hips over toes. And we just tipped back and forth from mm -hmm. the heels of our feet to the balls and the toes and back and forth. Mm -hmm. And as we got comfortable in that rocking movement, I asked them to rock a little more forward to really meet the edge where they may almost fall over but where they can still really self-facilitate and then rock backward and meet the edge on their heels where they may almost fall over. And so we got this embodied practice in pushing edges and then noting the somatic response. If the heart starts beating faster, if we start getting sweaty, what's happening and also becoming metacognitively aware of the fact that we can push edges and we're still good. And if we happen to tip over and have to stumble to find our balance, that we do. We don't let ourselves fall to the ground. Some may, and that's also fine. But typically we'll we'll put our foot down and we're like, okay, almost fell. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's it's sometimes challenging to push edges in dating and love. And when we get those kinds of practices that is, you know, still in the practice arena, but not while you're on the date, not while you're asserting a boundary during sex or elsewhere. We get to feel our ability to self-regulate and self-facilitate in some really important ways. I love that. I just feel so lit up hearing that. What a beautifully embodied experience. I love, I love things that let people like notice the, like, oh, this is what happens in me. Because people can hear the concepts 
all day long. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily, it just isn't the same as having that embodied learning. That's such yeah. a beautiful exercise. I love that you did that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Okay. So we were talking about vulnerability. You were at this event and you got this incredible experience where you just felt open in your body and everyone could feel you. Mm-hmm. And in your personal life, what impact did that have on how you navigated relationships, be they romantic or otherwise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it's made a big difference in how I feel on like a nervous system level to other people. Um, I love the framework of system one and system two, Daniel Kahneman, Nobel laureate scientists of like, there's our system one is like embodied gut intuition. And system two is the rational analytical and system one massively steers people. There are even um, people with split personalities or one personality can eat a food and be fine. And the other personality in the same body is very allergic to the food. Mm. Um, so it's sort of like an epigenetic thing, but like, oh, what what is just my gut reflex to this? And I think there's a very big difference when I'm embodied, when I'm grounded. I've even like after Vipassana meditation, my friend had this cat who hates brunette female humans. And it came up to me purring after I did a Vipassana 10-day <laughs> uh, meditation immersion. And it felt like there's a subtle difference, like babies and animals respond when somebody's truly present, for example. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these subtle things our nervous system knows, even if we can't cognitively describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And how, what was dating like before that? And what was dating like after? Like who, who how were you different? And how, how was the quality of your interactions with your partners different? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great question. I mean, I had, I definitely had some big heartbreaks um, in my late twenties and then in my thirties. Um, I had a couple of significant ones that were um, like, game changers in a temporary sense of me just being like, I'm, I'm sort of stepping out away and just going to take care of myself for a while. So they redirected me for a bit. And, um, yeah, certainly the embodiment makes the difference in noticing what I'm a yes to Mm. and like what lands or doesn't, I think younger me or past me was so, um, wanting a particular mythology to play out that I was just really trying to force shove reality into this shape that I wanted to see. And I cost me a lot of time and tears and (laughs) efforting. Um, And so that has shifted. Mm. And also just with having more tools, being with more intensity, it's significantly changed the way that I show up in conflict in relationships and navigating my partner's tenderness when there's vulnerability there. I had a a recent ex of mine said that he's like, one, you're the most loving partner I've ever been with, like having deep access to my love and affection and not like, oh, it's too much. I need to clamp down. And also that he'd never had someone be so grounded and with him and, and navigate intense conversations as well. He said he used to, he would say, um, he's like, well, in my past relationships, we would both parties would say things we didn't really mean in the moment, like an ad hominem attack, like you always do this or you're this way and you never blah, blah, blah. And, and he's like, you've never said that in any of our conflicts. And when he said something to me afterwards in a different, you know, once we like a day or two later, I told him like, Hey, I'm not okay with being spoken to that way. I require a high degree of kindness and I'm not okay with you saying unkind things. 
And I feel like teary saying that because it was such a like growth moment of my past self. Also, I often tell people I have a lot of access to my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. That's the work I do. Um, But yeah, that shift of thinking like, what am I even allowed to ask for or demand of a partner? Like, this isn't okay. And he was so apologetic and he's such a good man. It was just a, he got hijacked in the moment. And I was like, this can't happen again. Um, So anyway, just that like clarity in myself um, Mm -hmm. has shifted. Um, But being able to hold space and then it's like, what are my standards of my partner? Because not everyone's going to have done as much work as I have. I love it when they have. It's so different. It's so wonderful. (laughs) And if they haven't, yeah, it's like, what am I up for? Um, but, but it's, it's been very different. That's a consistent piece of feedback that I get. People are like, you're so present and you're so good at holding space and you're so good at navigating challenging conversations and so self-aware. And I'm like forged through fire. Like I have done a lot of work to get here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for your emotional expression. It was very sweet to be in that with you. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah still in the tenderness of it a little bit and I'm good to keep going. Yeah, please. What, if, if you feel okay to reveal what emotion came up for you or what sensation arised in that moment? Yeah, there's like, there's something that feels checking in like profound in the empowerment of saying this isn't okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I could feel emotions and tears in my eyes. Yeah. It's that that idea of like, you never need to let someone treat you in a way that doesn't meet your standards. That's a big conversation to have. What was your journey like with deciphering your standards? Because something you had said just a few minutes ago is like, what am I a yes for? What am I a no for? Mm -hmm. A lot of, and I'll speak for myself, but I've seen this with a lot of women in my work is up until we go through our initiation, whatever that looks like. So many of us were trained and conditioned to be needless, wantless beings. Mm -hmm. So like, we just got to be a yes for everything. Mm -hmm. And if you're not shut up and deal with it. Mm -hmm. And we've, you know, we've collectively had that experience. So many of us, what, you know, you said to feel what I'm a yes for and a no for in my body and to feel the empowerment of asking like, what are my values and standards here? How did you cultivate that? And feel free to share that from a philo- philosophical perspective as well as a practical perspective. So anybody mm-hmm. listening may take something with them that they can implement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for asking. I, I had a breakthrough aha moment in therapy once when, so I never liked when people would say like, oh, you're subconsciously seeking out these patterns. And I'm like, no, I'm, I don't want these patterns. It's like, I don't think that's true. Um, and what a therapist once said to me was, it's not that you're trying to live them out. It's that if something happens to somebody in their childhood, when they don't, they can't leave, they don't have a choice as a young child, especially. So if people have a lot of anger in their home environment, or if they gossip a lot, um, there might be a like, wow, I don't like this, but I have to learn to tolerate it to survive. Mm -hmm. And so those patterns in later relationship, I might be like, wow, I really don't like my partner has this temper. I really don't like that they're cutting me down in these ways. Um, 
like verbal, emotional abuse, physical abuse. There, there might be things. I, and I don't know the full, I'm not going to pretend to know the full extent of the psychology of all those things, but there is this pattern or this, this piece around, um, if I learned to tolerate it when I was young, even if I really don't like it, even if I really wish it was another way, there's a part of me that can exist. It's not mm-hmm. like, whoa, I can't No, I am a no to that. Like certain things are clear, like cheating, mm-mm. like, no, mm-hmm. you're out. Right. Um, if, if they're like being dishonest, they break trust, but other things of like saying slights or being mean to me in certain ways, like power dynamics that were unhealthy. Uh, you know, I would, when I was younger, it was, a uh, oh, I can, I can feel that I don't like this, but maybe they can change. Maybe it can get better because that's how it was growing up. There's mm-hmm. a like, oh, maybe like, oh, please treat me the way that I want to, that I want you to. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, what, what is that experience like in your body? Like if you could describe when something feels like a hell yes for you and your partner shows up and it's like, oh my God, just, you could do this forever versus when something feels like a, hmm, you know what? I'm gonna have to sit with this. Maybe I'll say something. And then when it feels like a, absolutely not, like, what is that somatic experience like inside? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Let me, let me feel into that. Well, the yes feels, and and I've done an exercise once with somebody about like, just what is a thing that you're a yes to? And just feel that, like, just take a moment and feel just like, I love cats. (laughs) And I can think about my love for cats, (laughs) like particular cats and just feel how lit up my body feels. And so it's like sensing into that and just like kind of the the somatic memory of like, yeah, this is what like, oh, do I want to hang out with this cat? Yes. (laughs) Whatever it might be. Um, and, or do I want to go to this restaurant? Like something that I'm a full yes to, and then just like, let my body feel that thing. And then that can be a good benchmark of like, okay, now how do I feel in relationship to it? And there are the no's that are clear that are just like, oh, hell no. And, and then the things in between are the fuzzier bits uh, for me. And I imagine for a lot of people there. And so it's, noticing it's kind of like trying on clothes and they're things like Marie Kondo style. I'm just like, Oh my God, I love this. And they're the things where I'm like, I mean, like, I want to like this (laughs) where I'm like convincing myself or trying to convince myself. Um, and that said, like in relationship, there might be something in the moment, things are hard. And I always want to, when, when I'm in a committed connection to somebody, um, let things kind of let the dust settle. Um, and I might like bookmark, okay, right now this feels really bad in the moment. Let me just check in with myself for what's intuition versus like pattern and a a fear response. Um, so just trying to, trying to discern that. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, wow, do I have a, (laughs) an, uh, expressible somatic practice around it? But there's just the notice in the moment, notice afterwards, knowing what my values are and, and like, and also how does the other person uh, respond? Are they open to feedback? Do they try and do they do better? Um, mm-hmm. I have a friend who is in a lovely marriage now who he and his wife almost though they did break up and she went back to him and said, I realize I have this pattern that shows up in conflict. Will you please give me another chance? And he was like, how often has that worked? <laughs> but he's like, sure. Okay. We'll try because she's like, I'm going to do better, I swear. And then she did, and they're married and they're really happy. So I think there are things where if a person's really trying, um, 
that matters too, because we're all growing and learning. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Okay. So I want to switch gears a bit in, in parallel with feeling that hell yes in your body and you're like totally lit up. Something that we've talked about offline is this man that you're calling in, whether that feels like an immediate thing or a, at some point in the future, mm-hmm. when you tune in to who this person is, what kinds of qualities they embody, if we, if, if me bearing witness to you right now in this moment in real time and anyone listening bearing witness at any other point in the future could hold the intention with you and for you that this man find you at exactly the right time in the perfect way, mm-hmm. who is he? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yes. Total invitation for anyone listening to <laughs> matchmake <laughs> me and call this in. Um, so when I imagine this man, uh, he's deeply embodied and integrated in his masculinity. So healthy integration of there's masculine and feminine and I trust him to deeply hold the masculine, which the definition I like of that is ability to set and maintain the container and the feminine dances within it, but Mm -hmm. integrity, accountability, um, like not shying away from the hard stuff, setting and maintaining the container. So integrated masculinity has solid self-awareness and has, has done trauma work, has done self-work. I think I... Um, by the time somebody's reached sort of the, the middle stage of their life, I would hope they would have done that. And if they haven't, there, there's probably too much of a delta for me um, to to move forward. And hmm, there's also like I think it's a big five personality traits. Like I am high on trait openness and trait conscientiousness, which isn't apparently not it's not a common thing. Um, but being very open to adventure and experience and other perspectives and whatnot. And also, and, and able to see nuance. That's something I really value. And it's also an adult development trait, but um, seeing the gray areas, not going into black and white thinking, um, perspective taking. Um, and oh yeah, conscientiousness of someone who doesn't feel threatened by the fact that other beings have their own boundaries and preferences and needs. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think plays into the thing of like, oh yeah, women are are here to serve me versus, oh, you're your own person. Like, yes, please like tell me what you need. And if it's in conflict with what I want, we'll work through it. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, there's all the like attractive and athletic and and, and, and like brilliant, someone who can keep up with me intellectually and um has like a sense of wit and just but I, I really appreciate insight. I find that um like a verbal or or rather mental sharpness. Um, That's something where if if I don't trust my partner's ability to parse a situation, I'm not going to want their input on things. And I'm like, well, that seems sad. I'm just like, you just sit there and look pretty. Like, I I don't want to hear. You didn't think through that well. I don't need to hear it. (laughs) So yeah. So those are some things. I love that. I love that. And how do you imagine, how do you know you'll feel in this relationship? Like what, mm-hmm. what of your qualities are really going to shine? Like what is this man going to bring out in you by virtue of him being who he is? Yeah. Thank you. I love that. When, when I feel deeply met and that any man in my world really 
romantic or not, is holding the masculine beautifully, I just get to like melt. Mm. And the part of me as a single woman who's a solopreneur, like I hold so much and I love being able to just let go and trust that somebody else is holding the container, is tracking the things. It's not a person that I need to manage, but they are solid in themselves Mm. and the ground they stand on. And yeah, there's this like melty feminine. I get to embody that feminine more, like my nurturing side, my like devotional side. And like with that deep trust comes that devotion that -hmm. feels so wonderful to melt into. Oh, I love that. I, and I want to follow this thread. What does devotion look like for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's something you and I talked about in the past is I am deeply, deeply monogamous and, um, which is a funny thing in, in certain circles, it's like almost an apologetic admission of just like, I'm, I'm not, but it's not that I'm closed-minded. Um, like, <laughs> I think on the bell curve, I actually, I'm just genuinely, like, I love monogamy. I find it so like sexy and like, and delicious to like create this deep world with one other person and um, like being a team together. So there's this surrender to the relationship to the entity of us and mm-hmm. being so open to being impacted by the other person. There's a permeability mm-hmm. and being able to show that impact and, and trust it, um, trust the, the holding of my, my ability to show that. Um, yeah, that's something that like de- deep devotion, deep, deep love, I think is a superpower of mine to, just love as a superpower one and um, being just really committed and to continue to turn towards one another no matter what happens. And um, so not a like, okay, well, we'll just tap out or give up if, you know, I mean, there are things that could be massive trust breaks and deal breakers potentially. And I hope that never happens. Um, But that aside from like the basic, I'm baseline taking care of myself, not being in an unhealthy situation. Um, yeah, there's just this, just deliciousness to me. I don't know if I'm, uh, now starting to repeat myself because I just such a yummy place to occupy in my mind and body. You're just like, oh yeah. Like I think I have a very strong nurturing side and getting to just like fully indulge in that and not hold back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I can feel like a melty quality inside me right now. Just being in that space, creating that space for ourselves, but also there's something very special when we cohabitate in that space with a man who's like really holding the fort, like he's there. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so beautiful to come by interactions like that, whether they're with a platonic friend, a family member, a lover, a partner, just to be in the presence of a, a strong, grounded, masculine energy Mm-hmm. feels really good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I feel you on that. <laughs> yeah. And I have so many girlfriends who like, well, um, yeah, it's just like, it's like, my, I just feel it in my body. Like even mm-hmm. if it's just an acquaintance or whatever, somebody I meet, I'm just like, oh, oh, you feel so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember saying to my partner, Ani, the first time we hung out after meeting, which was not in was not romantic at that point. It was, we were actually, were talking about potentially working together and we were in a coffee shop and he just 
saw right through something I was saying and asked a question about it in a very loving yet penetrative way. It was just direct. It was like, you know, there were no bars held. There was no beating around the bush. And immediately it struck me. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Like this person sees me and here I am now crying in front of him. We just met. And now I'm like pouring my heart out. And there was something about his way of being that called forth this vulnerable, heart open, expressive way of being for me that I don't always exhibit around everyone. Like there's a, a time and place for that. And I remember hugging him after our conversation. Again, first time I'm seeing this guy, I he held me in his embrace. And as I let go, I stepped back and said, I know we've only just met and I don't say this to many people. There are a few men in my life that I feel safe with. And you're mm. one of them. Mm. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. And it was that feeling of like, I could just melt and fall apart or express or whatever. It would be welcome. Mm -hmm. And that I imagine is potentially a similar experience you have when you just get that feeling in your body and you're like, oh God, that mm -hmm. feels good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I I love that. Okay. So I want to wrap on this note because there are, there are so many things that I want to, <laughs> that I want to keep talking about, but there's what, what is your deepest desire and wish and declaration for yourself? Like if you could be witness to yourself have me as a witness on the other side of the screen and anyone who's listening that maybe feels edgy. Like maybe it feels edgy to claim this or say it or speak it out loud or let somebody hear it. That is even slightly beyond your own comfort zone. A woman who pushes her own edges often. What would that thing be? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Feel into that. There's that I deeply, deeply desire and feel aligned with having a like incredibly loving, devotional, like like a sacred love. And like it's it really to me feels like a spiritual path of, mm -hmm. of having mm -hmm. that with somebody else. Yeah. And to have that family, even if it's of of two, because families mm -hmm. can take so many forms. Yeah. Um and so yeah, deep desire for family and to be on each other's team and build together and cheer each other on. But someone who can go deep, who can handle all the love I have to give and also love deeply themselves. And like, yeah, to keep choosing that vulnerability of like going really deep and creating so much richness and beauty together. Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And so it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it has already been written. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else that's on your heart right now, whether related to what we've already spoken about, or even if it's like, you know, feels like a hard left turn that would just feel great to express that you want to be seen in, witnessed in, whatever? Thanks. Well, I remember there was something that we had touched on that I just thought was so empowering and so badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My a friend of mine said, 
um, she was seeing somebody who was starting to, the way he was treating her started to shift from like courtship. Oh yeah. I'm trying to woo you to, um, she it didn't meet her standards. And she told him, um, the way you're treating me doesn't meet my standards of how I need to be treated. So we're going to go on a break for two weeks. And if you want to try again after that, you can. And it just blew my mind. <laughs> this is years ago that I heard this story. And I've definitely used that with people where men just weren't up to snuff and how they were treating me. And, and that realization of like, oh, you're when somebody shows you what they are, believe them. And mm-hmm. like, oh, this thing happened. Like I felt very hurt by this action. And I now I see that this this is something you're at least capable of. It doesn't mean it's what you would normally choose. It doesn't mean you'll ever choose it again. And this doesn't work for me. Um, but often in, I don't know how often, but like if there's a dating situation and something doesn't meet my standards, I'll say like, hey, I'm going to step back and let's take some space. And if if you want to try again, you can. And I am so open to you proving me wrong. Like I invite that. Mm-hmm. Mm. And right now, the way this has gone, this doesn't work for me. Mm. I really love that second part that you added in there just now, which was like, hey, and I I would love to be proved wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, and not as a jab, but as a uh, a way that's like, I want this to work. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to show me that you would like otherwise. And where things are at, it's not currently meeting my standard and, and what I know I deserve in, in relationship. Mm-hmm. So I love that there is a creating of a boundary and also an invitation back in. There mm-hmm. is uh, uh, the experience that that provokes in me is like, there is someone who solidly knows what they're a yes for and what they're a no for, but it's not a pushing away as much as it is a stepping back and then saying, but please come forward if and when there is a time that you'd like to approach things differently. I would love that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It reminds me of what uh, one of my friends says, You're, we're constantly training other people on how to treat us. Yeah. Like what they're getting away with what or, or like what we're rewarding them for. And, and also I love that sort of um, Alison Armstrong style of like, um, saying like, oh, when you do this, I just, I, it feels so good to me. I love this thing. So there's the calling them in yeah. of like, oh, I love this thing. Um, also, which I'm really enjoying implementing. Yeah. Are you reading the queen's code right now? Or have you read it before? Yes. Yeah. I've read that and keys to the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cried my eyes out. Uh-huh. When I read it, I'm like, I'm a frog farmer. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> totally. And I love like, there are definitely things where like, um, sometimes when I need help, um, with like moving a heavy thing, be like, Hey, can, can you use your like wonderful man muscles to help me with this? And men are always like, yes, I can. <laughs> like, so yeah. And it's true. I like admire their strength. There's so many beautiful things about men that I love. Um, yeah. so it's, it's that interplay of like, yeah, just loving and adoring the masculine and then like holding myself, my intentions and what's right for me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I definitely love men too. They're mm-hmm. and many of them are wonderful creatures. So mm-hmm. beautiful. And that, that book for anyone listening is called the queen's code by Alison Armstrong and then keys to the kingdom, two incredible resources. She's a, a she has a really unique perspective as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so highly recommend, uh, okay. Anything else that feels juicy, relevant to share as we 
wrap the conversation? Mm-hmm. I'm checking in. I think what I'm landing on now is like just encouragement for for anyone listening to this, like that I with the emotional skills training stuff I do, I'm always like, this is so learnable. It's teachable, it's learnable. Um, mm. I was inspired actually. That was a that was a pivot point for me. I had a friend who was a social worker and she was once venting about how people will tell her, oh, you're just such a good communicator. I wish I was too, but I'm just not good like you are. And she's like, sweetie, I learned this. <laughs> this is a learnable skill. You can do it too. Yes. It's like, oh, she just doesn't just magically do this out of no effort. So like, yeah, that like deep work I think is so rewarding and it takes courage like face trauma to face shadows. What mm-hmm. are our blind spots? So like anybody doing that good work, like, yeah, well, yes, cheer you on in, yeah. in that sisterhood and just shared humanity of that plight. And I think it's, I believe it's so worth it to live like a bold, full life. Hell yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It, it Communication is a learned skill. We, we did mm-hmm. not pop out of the womb knowing how to do this. So um, I, I love that encouragement. Another book that really changed the game for me was called The Dance of Anger, which is all about how to harness and effectively communicate anger, particularly for women in relationships. Oh, that's great. Because often we push it down and then it builds up and then it becomes resentment and then it comes out in some other way, path of aggression, whatever it is. Such a powerful read for anyone who's learning to really deepen communication skills, not just in the realm of interrelational um, exchanges, but really deepen an awareness about what's happening inside so that you know what to communicate. Because when we know what's happening and then we just say, hey, I'm feeling tightness in the chest, I, I, I would like to take a step back physically and from the situation, can I please have five minutes? Totally. That's yeah. like mind-blowing, you know, Absolutely, to, yeah. to have that awareness. It. Yeah. And, and I'll even in relationships, um, like pre-agree, like, hey, do I have, if it's, if it's a dyma- dynamic that comes up, pre-agreeing, or like, do I have your consent to in the moment, if it seems like, seems like things are getting charged to say, hey, can we pause and let's do two minutes of slow, deep breathing together? Or like yeah. we can hang up the phone, go on a walk in our neighborhoods, come back and then continue. And they'll say like in the moment, they'll be like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not mad. And then they're like, okay, I said I would do this. And so and then they always feel better afterwards. Um, yeah. and, and by the way, there's a book I think is really cool uh, for anybody who's experienced um, hardship in female relationships and, and also just the phenomenon of how women navigate challenge, challenging feelings, at least is it like broad American perspective, at least Um, there's a book called odd girl out about Mm. the way women see one another. And it's like um, at a certain age, pretty young um, little boys go to give me the toy or I'll hit you. Mm. And little girls go to give me the toy or I won't be your friend. And, and, and it's because girls are supposed to be polite and sweet and, you know, all the things like, I know you're very familiar with this. And, but where's the room for self-expression? Where's assume mm-hmm. the room for like, instead of bottling something up and just exploding at some point, it's like, how right. do we actually have these conversations? Right. Thank you. I will share all these book titles in the show notes. Mm-hmm. The last, you know, I'll, I'll say on that is very jokingly, but seriously, 
I have sometimes appreciated that guys can just go and duke something out, sometimes physically. And then when they're done, they're good. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we hold on to these things for days, weeks, months, years, and men do it too. But I, I have sometimes appreciated the ability to like get into the arena and rumble and then mm-hmm. be like, okay, all right, now we're done. So let's move on. Right. You know? And it's it's still intimidating for me. If I have a clearing conversation to have with a dear friend, I often say the most advanced application of any of these skills, self-awareness, communication skills, how, how do you navigate intensity, all that is in relationships that matter mm. to a person. And like, it's a high stakes situation. It's a high stakes relationship. It's the most vulnerable. It's the most intense because like, oh my gosh, this outcome really matters. Yeah. So, it, and so just to name, like, I, I know I have all these tools and things and it's still hard. So just again, the courage that's required to keep living into those values. Yeah. 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 We're out here humaning. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Heather, thank you so much for like taking the time out of your day to share your heart, to share your wisdom and expression and a little bit about your story. We barely scratched the surface. But thank you. I know that anybody who's listening to this will truly benefit from really getting to tune in to another badass woman and getting to hear more about her journey and the integrity with which she lives her life. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'm so grateful for you and the work that you do and how you show up and what you're bringing to women and beyond. Thank you so much. Mm, Thank you. All right, everyone. I will have all of Heather's information in the show notes, along with all the resources we mentioned. And if this episode really landed for you, please tag us on Instagram. Let me know. Send me a comment. Leave a review. I welcome that. And if you know that this episode would really benefit a woman or even anybody in your life, please, I invite you to share it out so we can spread the love. And until next time, I'm wishing everybody much love and good vibes. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the show and spread the love by sharing this episode out on social media and to all the powerful women in your life. And if you're ready to play full out and create heart-throbbing love, hop on over to my website to see all the juicy ways you can do just that www.leenoto.com. Fellow wild woman, I appreciate you. Until next time, I'm sending you so much love and all the good vibes.